Welcome to the Laser Therapy Institute weekly podcast, the world's first podcast about medical laser therapy for healthcare providers. Each week, we discuss the latest research, interviews with experts, and how laser therapy can enhance your practice. Now, here is the founder of LTI and your host, Dr. Jason Roundtree. Welcome back to the Laser Therapy Institute weekly podcast. My name is Dr. Jason Roundtree, and I'll be your host again today. And I want to talk to you as kind of a follow-up, kind of an extension from last week's episode. Last week, we talked a lot about power and time and why they matter and even the location on where you apply light for light therapy on the tissues. These are hotly debated topics, and I think there is some really good information I was able to bring to you last week. If you want to hear more about power and time specifically, please go back to last week's episode and then join me again here today, because today we're talking about wavelength, the color of the light that you use for therapy. Does it matter? Why does it matter? What happens in the tissues with different wavelengths? So... I'm going to be referring back to a review that was published in May of 17 in uh, AIMS Biophysics Journal. This is by the esteemed Dr. Michael Hamblin, and the review's title is Mechanisms and Applications of the Anti-Inflammatory Effects of Photobiomodulation. Now, I'm just taking a very small snippet out of this study to bring you information about wavelengths because it gives us a really good review on what we know uh, to date uh, about wavelengths and, and how they behave in the tissues. But there is so much more to this review. So if you'd like to get a hold of it, it's about 20 or so pages. It's really technical, but it's some very, very good information. If you want to get a hold of it, email me, info at lasertherapyinstitute.org, and uh, we'll get a, a link over to you so you can read it for yourself. So when we say wavelength, we're talking specifically about wave-like behavior. So photons have a wave behavior. Photons of light uh, travel in a wave form. Now, the distance between the peaks of the wave is how we label what type of wave this is. So, very, very short wave, we're talking less than 400 nanometers from peak to peak on this wave uh, progression here, Those are going to be your invisible types of radiation like ultraviolet and x-rays and gamma rays. Very, very short, oftentimes damaging to the tissues. But over 400 is where we get into the visible spectrum. Purple, blue, green, yellow, orange, and then red, all the way up to about 700 nanometers. That's our visible spectrum that we as humans get to enjoy being able to see every day. From 700 you know, anything over 700 up to about 2,000 nanometers is what we'd term near infrared. Now, this is invisible, but doesn't have the damaging characteristics that UV and X-rays do. And this goes further on from near infrared, like I said, between about 700 to about 2,000 nanometers, all the way up to the far infrared that uh, CO2 surgical lasers will put out at that 10,600 nanometers. And once you get far enough, uh, long enough rather, in the wavelengths and you get into radar, uh, FM channels, TV, shortwave, AM radios, um, radio waves. But we're going to focus today... Uh, on wavelengths that can be used in photobiomodulation. So which wavelengths can be used to positively affect the tissues? 
and those wavelengths are specifically between 6 and 700 nanometers, as well as from 770 to about 1064. Those are our most common and seemingly most efficient parameters for wavelengths when we're going to be using it for photobiomodulation or laser therapy or light therapy. So you'll notice there's a region there from 700 to about 770 where we don't really use those wavelengths and that's because the results have been uh, pretty disappointing. Why exactly? We don't know so much, but a lot of this has to do with absorption and scattering and reflection. Now, when we're talking about visible wavelengths in the blue and the green spectrum, they can actually have some, some positive effects in tissues, but the absorption and the scattering um, and the reflection off of the skin is very high. So you don't get any real penetration through the tissues with blue and green visible. So if the penetration of the light into the tissues is governed by the absorption and the scattering and the reflection at the surface, as well as by the molecules and the structures that are present in the tissues, then they are major factors in delivering light to deeper tissues. Now, if we're just talking about the skin, if we're just applying light to the skin, well, visible light can be great, right? Visible green, visible blue, uh, visible red can all have tissue effects at the skin if that's what we're going for. But when you start getting into those deeper tissue defects or inflammatory environments within a joint or a tear in a tendon, you need some level of penetration to get the light down to that injured tissue. Now, Dr. Hamlin says that both absorption and scattering of light become significantly less as the wavelength gets longer. Once you get long enough, longer wavelengths, water becomes a very key absorber, and then penetration depth gets shorter again. So the maximal penetration depth you can get with near-infrared light is at 810 nanometers. That's going to be your deepest penetrating wavelength. And penetration is one thing, but absorption is important too. It needs to be absorbed properly by the target tissues. Now, maximum absorption in water, which is the most common uh, part of, of our tissues, uh, happens at its maximal amount at about 980 nanometers or higher. And for that reason, those higher wavelengths generally have worse penetration profiles into tissues than uh, the little bit shorter wavelengths around that 800-810 nanometer mark. Okay, so quick recap. Visible red between 600 and 700 nanometers, and then the invisible near-infrared between 770 and about 1064. That's where you're going to get most of your tissue effects. The maximum penetration is about 810 nanometers. The maximum absorption is somewhere north of 980 nanometers. Okay, next, if we can get the light into the tissues, if we're using the right wavelength to get the penetration and the absorption we want, what are we actually talking about happening in the tissues? What does this particular color of light that you're using do? What's happening chemically in those tissues? Well, we have to look at what's called chromophores. 
Now, chromophores are a biological molecule that undergo a conformational change when they absorb a photon of light at a certain wavelength. And there are a number of these in nature. Just real obviously, let's think about the chlorophyll molecule in plants, right? If you remember from especially uh, grade school biology, remember that the chromophore of chlorophyll in plants can absorb sunlight, and then it turns uh, CO2 into oxygen, right? That's a very, very, very shallow version. But if we think about that when we talk about chromophores in living tissues, especially human tissues, that's what we're talking about on this podcast in particular, well, there's several different chromophores that we should be aware of. So one of the most obvious ones, I guess you could say, is what's called a light-gated ion channel. And this is uh, utilizing a G-protein-coupled receptor, which is called an opsin. You'll find opsins um, in the rods and cones of the retina. This is how we get signaling vision from visible light, right? Now... I'm not going to really get into that one very much because that's not what we're really focused on here. So there are a couple more that I want to focus on more specifically. One is cytochrome C oxidase. And if you've looked at laser therapy, if you've looked at light therapies and photobiomodulation in general, you've probably heard about cytochrome C oxidase. So what is it specifically? Well, it's unit four in the mitochondrial electron transport chain. And what it does is produce a proton gradient that ATP synthase enzyme needs to in, in order to synthesize ATP. And because of the way that it is built, it absorbs light in the near-infrared spectrum very, very well, up to about 950 nanometers. So what happens when cytochrome C oxidase absorbs one of those key wavelengths? What, what goes on there? Well, we know what we see. We know we see an increase of enzyme activity, increased oxygen consumption, and increased ATP production. And the, the best theory we have is that this is based on photodissociation of inhibitory nitric oxide. It, nitric oxide will block oxygen, so a very low-energy photon absorbed into cytochrome C oxidase actually kicks out nitric oxide and allows uh, a more respiration, more cellular respiration energy production to take place. And this is, this is really what a lot of the research has focused on, is the action of light with cytochrome C oxidase. Again, the absorption peaks are about um, 800, but it can still absorb light all the way up to about 950 nanometers. The next chromophore that Dr. Hamlin brings up is water. Now, water specifically, we're talking about structured water layers or interfacial water and water clusters. These are all tiny amounts of water between the cells and around proteins and within the cells even, specifically around the mitochondria. And when, when these small amounts of water absorb light, then we see a, an increase, a very small increase in vibrational energy and even charge separation uh, when it absorbs this near-infrared light. And that's, that's right around uh, 980 nanometers and up to about uh, 1,200 and sometimes even higher than 1,200 nanometers. But there's a peak at, at 980 and then above 1,200 there's another peak of uh, absorption in water. 
And when you have that small change, that small energetic change, then it can affect the conformation of cellular proteins. It can reduce the viscosity of the interfacial water within the mitochondria and allow for faster ATP synthase action. And that is why we can see good increases in ATP production, even if we're outside of that spectrum where cytochrome C oxidase does very well, which is in that 950, you know, 800 nanometers up to about 950. That Now we're talking 980 and, and even higher. So something to think about is the, the more absorption you have by water, the shallower the penetration is going to be. And that is why your maximum penetration depth is right around 800, but your maximum absorption depth, uh, I'm sorry, your maximum absorption wavelength is about that 980, 950 nanometers. So there's some sweet spots we can kind of identify here. Number one, we know that 800 can get the deepest. So that right there should give you some idea of what wavelength your device should be operating in if you're trying to attack deeper tissues. But also in the higher wavelengths, in the 950, 980 and up, you have better absorption by cellular water, which means you can have maybe larger tissue effects, larger cell respiration uh, events, but at a lesser depth. There's another one here that at about 1064 nanometers is another little sweet spot between absorption by water and penetration depth. Now, 1064 can penetrate quite well without quite as much absorption in water, so you can get that water absorption factor down deeper into those tissues. You can also see some good results with visible red wavelengths in that 600 to 700 nanometers. The problem there becomes the penetration is just not that great. So what are our takeaways? Well, tissue penetration and the effects you get when you put light on those tissues are very wavelength dependent. If you have a 5 watt 980 nanometer laser and a 5 watt 800 nanometer laser, the tissues you are affecting, the way they respond, what's actually happening in the body when you turn those lights on, vastly different. But there are important in-betweens too. Say at 900, there are different tissue activities and different penetration depths reached. At 1064, there are different actions going on in those tissues. Now, you don't have to be a trailblazer and figure this all out by yourself. Many laser therapy manufacturers have already picked out good wavelengths that should give you what you want. You can rely on the published science that's out there to start figuring this out, but also the clinical experience of people who have been doing this for a while. And that's what I'd like you to contact me about if you have further questions on how to translate this information into patient results. If you want your patients to get better utilizing laser therapy, you need to know, yes, somewhat how these mechanisms work, but how to actually put them into practice where your patients can see meaningful results. That's where the protocols, the time, the power, the wavelength, all those factors that matter need to be worked in correctly so that you can get reproducible, predictable results for your patients. Matter of fact, if you've been thinking about this for a while, go to our website, lasertherapyinstitute.org, go to the shop and click on plans and pricing. Just take a look at what some of our plans are. 
it may very well be within your reach to go ahead and start down this path towards better results for your patients through laser therapy. Also, if you like these podcasts, if you're enjoying what information I'm able to put out, please go ahead and give us a rating. I'd love to have a few more ratings on iTunes. It really helps other docs to find us. And again, if I can be of any assistance, please do send me an email. You can get me right at info at lasertherapyinstitute.org, and I will talk to you next week. Subscribe now to keep learning about the growing field of laser therapy. Check out our patient-focused podcast, Healing at the Speed of Light, a great resource for your patients. For massive practice growth and improved patient outcomes, become a certified Laser Therapy Institute clinic. Learn how at lasertherapyinstitute.org.